Welcome to part two, <laughs> where we discuss the two movies of today. Uh, the Danish 2010 movie Helm. Did I pronounce that correct? Helm. Ah, for fuck's sake. Helm? <laughs> Helm? Yeah, it's pretty good. Or In a Better World, which is not the translation of the movie. But anyway, um, and so we're doing that. And then later on, we're doing If I Want to Whistle, I Whistle. Or Yo Daka Vrausa Fluir, Fluir. Mm. Both from 2010. But let's start with In a Better World. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, so, Stephen, do you... Steven, do you feel like the title, uh, which title do you think fits better? I think the Danish title fits better. It means uh, the yeah. revenge, right? Yeah. Like, why would you change it to something? It makes no Like, the, the English title makes no sense. In a better world? What the fuck is it? Mean? I, don't, I, don't, I can sort of see it, but I'll, I'll agree that the Danish, the, the Danish title works better. Anyway. Well, they probably had one movie named that and one, one movie named the other one because it feels like two different movies. Anyway. <laughs> We'll get anyway. into that. Uh, so, in a better world, or Helne, or is that how you pronounce it? Helne. Helnen. Helnen. There you go. Helnen. Uh, so, it came out in two thousand and ten. Directed by Susanna Beer. Susanna Beer. There you go. Uh, directed by Susanna Beer, and written by Susanna Beer, Anna Thomas Jensen, who wrote the screenplay, and the. Uh, uh, another credit by Pierre Nielsen, who wrote, who supervised the writing. I don't know what that means, but there you go. He looked at it and was like, "Yeah, it's good. It's great. Thumbs up." Uh, cinematography by Morten Söberg. Morten Söberg, yes. Yeah. So what is this? What the fuck is this movie about? Well, let me tell you, Daniel. Uh, so the movie follows two families. You have one yes. family, Mari, Marianne and Anton. Anton is Swedish, by the way. Mm. And they have a son. Well, they have two sons, but one of them doesn't matter. So they have one son, Elias. Uh, and then you have a separate family, which is Klaus, played by Ulrich Thompson, and his son, Christian. Uh, the, uh, his mom, Christian's mom, passed away, so they're just the two of them. Mm. Uh, Anton works as a doctor in Africa, one of those uh, aid camps, you know, like uh, those improvised setup camps where doctors. Yeah, he works for like a Doctors Without Borders. Exactly, you know, that's things that's like that. Word. So he yeah. he travels a lot to, is it Nigeria? I want to say. Uh, I think the, that I the think the credit they... says that it was shot in Kenya. So <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, I just can't remember if they actually mention it in the movie where they are. Anyway, they he goes he goes to an aid camp in. In let's say Kenya, Africa. yeah. In let's say Kenya. Africa, yeah. It was shot in uh, Kenya. Whatever. Uh, uh, he because he is working in Africa, and due to the fact that he had a a uh, an affair with another woman, he is estranged from his wife Marianne. They're not uh -huh. divorced, but they're sort of in the process of doing that. Uh, yeah. Their son Elias uh, befriends Christian. Them both being sort of outside kids with the distance from their parents and uh, Elias is also bullied at school and Christian is helping him with that. Uh, so Christian is alone with his dad following the death of his mother. So the two become friends and slowly you find out that Christian 
is kind of a psychopath. <laughs> kind of, yeah. He has this uh, uh, warped sense of morality where he mm-hmm. wants to inflict punishment or, if you will, revenge uh, on the people that he feels are deserving of said punishment. So, for example, yeah. uh, Elias is bullied by a, a boy at school and he decides to beat him up with a, with a bicycle pump and then threaten him, threaten him with a knife. And then further on, he decides to attempt to blow up the car of a man. Uh, his name is Lars, because Lars uh, slapped around Anton in a conflict between them involving their sons, like a father type thing. Yeah. And basically, all their hijinks, the Elias and Christian's hijinks, kind of blow out of proportions, obviously, when you have something like them trying to blow up somebody's car, right? So there you go. That's the. That's as much as I can summarize this movie. So I assume you didn't enjoy it. Wait a second. I'll get into it. So with Daniel, when did you first see this movie? How did you come up? Oh, you saw it first this this time, right? For the podcast. Yes. Yes, I have actually never seen this movie before. But there was a lot of talk about the movie around the time of its release because it won a lot of awards uh, and it would go on to win the Academy the Award Oscar for best, uh, the foreign. yeah the Academy Award for Best Foreign Feature. Um, I don't remember how much the discussion actually was around this movie when it originally came out versus when it got nominated for the Oscar. So, but I as far as I know, this was not a movie that was like totally like nobody knew what the hell it was and then when it got nominated for the oscar everybody was like oh my god this movie is amazing as far as i know it was basically a a success in the cinema and then when it got nominated people just started paying more attention to it Mm. okay uh so this movie was also produced by zentropa right yes uh, which I realized, that, well, we I've seen a couple of movies from them at this point. Uh, I think they have a type where they uh, they 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 sneak in some English in it so that you sort of you can market them better to to like foreign cinemas, like in the UK and maybe the US for limited releases. You know? Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Which is it's a it's a clever thing. Like the movie starts in English, and I was like. Oh, is this a movie in English? But then it's not. Like the movie starts in Africa with the with Anton the Doctor, and they speak in English because they're Africans. Uh, right. So I'll get into my notes. Right. Huh? So first note that I had: Holy shit! It's the Finnish guy from Sex Education. <laughs> really? It's the uh, you've seen Sex Education, right? It's the guy that uh the the main psychiatrist lady falls in love with. I haven't watched that show. So. <laughs> you haven't watched it? Oh, okay. Oh, I thought you did. No. Yeah, nope. he's in that show. He, I think he huh? plays a Finnish in it, even though the actor is Swedish and he also plays Swedish in this. Yes. Uh, first impression. like the, I, I write these notes while I watch the movie, right? Uh-huh. Uh, first impression. Oh, no. Is this a white savior movie? <laughs> because... Uh, it starts with the scene again in Africa, and it shows this uh, uh, Anton uh, t- attempt to save all these uh, African people, and I'm like, oh no, 
Like this is a type of movie that mm. it, to me falls in the same categories as a uh, period pieces where I instantly go like, uh, oh no, <laughs> it's like white people in the jungle. It's like, uh, I'll, I will get into all that thing. Uh, by uh, by the way, uh, Anton is played by Mikael uh, Pace Pace Band. <laughs> I want to say that's his name. Sure, let's keep it with that. <laughs> sure. Uh, so Anton essentially is a sort of this low key, very calm character, right? Like he's a mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't show a lot of emotions. Um, which is kind of strange. I I wrote down, uh, especially once the movie gets indoors, like you go to Denmark, there's a lot of more indoor shots, right? Yeah. Uh, I noticed that the modern Danish movies have a a certain aesthetic where uh, there's a heavy contrast between the right side of an actor and and the left side. Like they have very high contrasting colors. Usually one of them is white, one of the mm-hmm. one of the colors so it creates these harsh highlights on them and harsh yeah. shadows as well so in like i just noticed that now that i've seen a couple of Danish movies i noticed that that's a constant thing where the the lights that they use are very bright so they create yeah. these intense like pure white shadows it's uh, which is personally a an aesthetic i am not a big fan of i thought it's it's it, it's kind of I, I would say that it's a bit too contrasty for me it's a bit too much yeah. contrast it's too harsh mm. it works better when it's outdoors because you don't have the level of uh, control so it's a bit more normal Nat- so to speak yeah it's a bit more yeah. natural yeah. yeah there you go uh, uh, I, I wrote down are Elias's parents supposed to be Swedish and then I realized Anton is Swedish I guess mm. uh my Marianne is supposed to be Danish, right? Yes, played she's by played by Trine de Duron. Yes. Uh, so yeah, uh, so I guess Elias is half Swedish. I I have this question: what yes. what is going on with this Swedish Danish thing? Because I've seen low key examples in other movies we watched. I think there's a mm-hmm. thing in a Blinkerlöte. Oh no, that was he was Norwegian. Uh, but like, are Danish people mean towards other Scandinavian countries? Countries is yes. this a thing? Yes. Why? I mean, is it the historical context? Is that it? I I don't actually know if it has anything to do with the historical context. It's just a thing. Like, Danes like to shit on Swedes, who like to shit on Danes, who like to shit on you know. Is it's, it? It's a would thing. you say it's playful? For the most part, I would probably consider it in a range of playful to like casually mean, if you get my point. Well, because like the like the distinction, the distinction between playful and casually like mean can vary, but it's so. For instance, the character of Jens in this movie is hardline, basically racist against Swedes. Wait, who is Jens? He's the wasn't that the he's the guy who with the two sons on the playground oh that you mean who, kim bonnia he's lars lars sorry for some reason i thought his name was jens anyway uh he is he showcases like an extreme aversion towards uh 
sweet to the point where he's like go back to your own country and things like that and i i have personally never seen that towards swedish people well it, it feels strange to see racism towards countries that most of the rest of the world either thinks they're the same country <laughs> yeah and like not the that's a joke right but i mean what i mean is yeah. that denmark nor, nor norway and sweden are similar like they're very similar in terms of both language and culture yeah. and that kind of thing so it feels to an extent of, to an extent yeah i'm not saying they're the same like obviously they're distinct no. i'm just saying like why would you uh, like a lot of racism re revolves around treating somebody like a stranger like mm. a, the other but then yeah. these people are basic like you're you're not gonna find anybody outside of denmark more similar to danes than swedes or nor or norwegians you know what i mean like they're practically our neighbors yeah so but like, it would be one seriously thing if you had neighbors that are somewhat different right like yeah. i would argue germans are a bit like significantly different than danes to an extent depends on where in germany you are but sure I, you know what I mean? Like the their culture is more distinct, you know. Mm -hmm. So I guess the the process of othering them makes to me a bit more sense. But when it comes to, especially how it's portrayed in the movie, like a lot of people are hardline and like they're they're very mean towards them because they're sweet. And I'm like, yeah. Why why do you care about this? You know. <laughs> like, if you live in Copenhagen you literally have sweden as your next door neighbor because okay. there is literally there's only a bridge then you go to malmo which is like a southern bit of sweden well there you and go like if if you live in that area it's basically like being racist towards your like the city next door like and I I don't think it's well. That's what I was gonna ask. Is this accurate the way it's portrayed in the movie? Because the movie, the characters are extremely mean, mean spirited. Uh, one because Elias, Elias is not even full sweet. He's half sweet, huh. but he gets bullied at school because he's Swedish. Like, so, this is of course based on my sort of experience with it. Uh, I have not personally seen that extreme of a hatred you could say towards swedes i've seen people making fun of swedes and i've seen people do sort of more mean-spirited jabs at them but i've never seen like full-on like go back to your own country you know otherness yeah othering you could say so not to the but, extent that it's portrayed in this movie Yes, and that is also one of the major things I have with this movie is that I think it, it maybe dials itself up a little bit too much. Yeah, that's, to get that's its the point impression. Across. That's the impression yeah. I had. So I'm certainly the... I'm certainly sure there are people in Denmark who are that racist towards Swedes. I just don't know if it's the norm or if it's a yeah. norm. Well, right. the movie portrays it as a norm because it shows yeah. kids in in elementary school doing it and i'm like yeah i don't know about that <laughs> yeah that's a uh yeah so essentially it's an attempt to sort of inject uh, some tension into the movie where 
Yeah. You have uh, Elias going through all these uh, this bullying at school. Well, it's not just because he's Swedish. It's also because he has big teeth, which I guess to me that makes more sense as a kid to bully somebody than for him being Swedish, you know? Yeah. It's, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying kids yeah. do that, you know? It ma- it makes more sense from a story perspective that if you need the kid to be bullied, let him be bullied for his big teeth, not, you know, his, his Swedishness. He has, he has big teeth. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, I wrote down at the 24-minute mark, holy shit, th- these kids are going to murder each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like... The so Christian is trying to defend Elias from one of the bullies and he pulls out a knife. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, what is this movie? <laughs> what <laughs> it's 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 very strange where you go from man treating people in Africa to people uh, grieving their their lost mom slash wife at a funeral parlor to kid pulling knife at other kid in school. <laughs> like yeah. it's 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 like uh society on steroids <laughs> if... yeah that that would also be that's that's actually a pretty good explanation of what my major problem with this movie is is it it feels like it almost feels like a caricature in a way yeah but it's a serious movie it's very serious yeah there's no comedy in it so it's not no not really supposed to be a caricature it, it, Speaking of steroids, it kind of feels at points like characters have roid rage, where they just <laughs> do things with no rhyme or reason. Oh, like Kim Botnia's character suddenly starting slapping uh, the main Kim, guy in the Kim middle Botnia, of... Kim Botnia, his career is being on roid rage. <laughs> like yeah. Every movie we watch with him, he's just asshole who does things be- because he's an asshole. Yeah. That's his whole career. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a. I love the scenes with Ulrich Thompson because uh, sort of the uh, Elias's family gets a lot more screen time. You have uh, mm. Marianne and Anton and their whole marriage thing. It gets a lot of screen time. Yeah. But then Ulrich Thompson's uh, he, he, his name is Klaus in the movie. He gets almost no screen time, and whenever he does, it's hilarious because he's so underdeveloped. Like uh, yeah. the the police find out about the knife, they they question the kids. The kids don't admit to it, and the police drop it. And the mm. there's the scene with Ulrich Thompson and his son in the car with Christian, and mm. uh, it's just Ulrich Thompson saying something like, "Oh, you shouldn't do that. That's how wars get started." <laughs> it's like what? It's just it's hilarious because he has no character. He's just dad. Like he yeah, has, he's just he's just there. Yeah, he's he's dad, and he's he mm. says something like this, like that's how wars get started. It's like just <laughs> like what? Uh, there's a meeting with the principal talking about mm. the whole knife thing. Like let's leave it behind us. Mm. This is like what you're saying, where it feels like a caricature where the principal is very it's like she's all smiles and uh she just said like ah it's no biggie this is leave it behind us where i feel like it's a bit of a parody of danish society where people are very calm about everything it's like uh-huh. lady a kid pull a knife on another kid <laughs> <laughs> yeah like let's just let's just leave it behind us we all make mistakes <laughs> so 
So the entire idea about this movie is kind of funny uh, in context of when it came out and such, because when people started talking about it, I remember back in like 2010, 2011, they talked about it like this great movie, but nowadays people don't really talk about it outside of, oh yeah, that was that movie Susanna Beer won an Oscar for. And it's like... Well, I, I'll i get into my general thoughts near the end. Yeah. That that scene in particular with the principal just read completely ridiculous. Like I know yeah. that the um, I I've seen discussions about this where the Danish uh, schools have sort of uh-huh. this problem where they 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 tend to be extremely uh, overly sort of overly protective of the children, and they they have problems uh-huh. teaching the concept of uh, responsibility and the sort of accountability like uh-huh. uh, like uh, it's overly protective to the point that kids are never punished for anything you know uh-huh. so i'm thinking that's where it's kind of jamming at you know so i so i will i will talk a bit about that but continue with your notes right uh, uh da, da, da. <laughs> yeah kim bodnia shows up and he's the best character in the movie <laughs> not because As always he's, yeah, he's a he, he, look. He's a fantastic actor. I, I I've actually yeah. watched a, a bit of Killing Eve. I forgot to talk about that, and he's in it. He's awesome. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't seen Killing Eve, but I know he's in it. Uh, he's awesome. He's also he's also gonna be in Witcher season two. Fucking. Uh, <laughs> so I think Kim Bodnia is casted in all these these over the top villainous roles because he's the only Danish person who can believably believably be threatening. <laughs> Oh, uh, Ulrich Thompson can in certain. That's that's a good point, but he's busy playing the dad. Yeah, he's yeah. busy doing nothing basically. Yeah, no, I agree with Ulrich Thompson. Yeah, but Kim Bodnia has a like a certain, I don't know, type phys- physicality to him that makes him mm. look threatening by default because he's yeah. stocky. Like he has that thing where he has no neck. Mm. <laughs> his shoulders start at the end of his head. Yeah, he's very bulky. Uh, yeah, which makes you know. him look threatening, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he's like, he just slaps the shit out of Anton because their two kids got in a, in a scuffle. Um, yeah, so they, they get in a scuffle on the playground. Anton runs over and tries to figure out what happened. And the kids are like, oh, he just started uh, annoying me and he took my swing and something. And then Kim Butner's character comes over and basically flips out over the fact that it happened and then he starts slapping Anton <laughs> for like as as you said it's like he's on he's on steroid rage. Oh like and uh if I, I uh, shortly after that it's probably the most hilarious scene in the movie. Because again, the movie's very serious, but because some of the things in the movies are so goofy, it comes across uh-huh like you said like a sort of a weird caricature so yeah. this next the scene where anton sort of emasculated by the fact that he got beaten up in front of his kids and uh. egged by elias kind of he goes to confront yeah. lars at his uh they find the kids find out that he works at this auto repair shop and he goes yes. to confront him with his kids yeah and i'm like what is your plan <laughs> what do you want to what is like the the scene where he asks for lars and and kim bonnia is under a car 
fixing it, uh-huh. right? And he and uh, he says like uh, the uh, Anton says like I'm here to look for you. Do you remember me? And the first time Kim Bonia looks at him and realizes what's about to happen, like he looks at it and just starts like grinning. <laughs> Because, uh-huh. <laughs> like, he kind of realized how ridiculous this whole thing is. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, so the scenario is you got beat up, well, slapped around by another parent. Like, obviously, uh-huh. this is a bit of a embarrassing scenario for anybody. Like, it's awkward. But yeah, you're not going to make it better by confronting him with your kids. Like... It's 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 insane. It makes no sense. What is it that Anton's youngest kid keeps calling Kim Bodnia's character when they're leaving? I don't remember. He he uh so his young when they're when they're leaving the like auto repair shop, they go out to the car, his uh Anton's youngest kid keeps mentioning some kind of like slur towards him, some kind of like dig weep basically. Yeah, and, okay, yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, but I can't remember. The, it's a specific Danish one, but I can't remember which one it is. Ah, I'm a, I'm a bit annoyed I actually didn't write that note, write that down in my notes, well, because it's hilarious. Uh, it, like, the whole scene, like, does this make sense to you? Well, I actually uh, uh, read up on, because I was watching the movie, and I was sort of confused about the 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 hype towards this movie that had happened back in 2010 2011 and then i started reading up on like other people's reactions to this movie like actual movie people like reviewers and such i started reading their reviews on this movie and i was just dumbfounded by it but so i'm talking about the scene oh yeah that scene is fucking weird it it would have but, been awkward if you went to confront him by yourself, but you brought your kids, yeah. and you're not gonna actually confront him. You're just gonna say, "Well, shame on you for slapping me around." Like obviously, this person doesn't care about that because he slapped you around in the first place. So, mm-hmm. what do you you just end up? He ends up being slapped again. Yeah. So he feels even worse than before. He's so stupid. <laughs> so so at uh, uh, I sort of found out two themes about this movie that apparently other people got and it and was one of the reasons why they enjoyed this movie it's actually hilarious watching reviews of this movie uh by americans after Mm. having having watched it now for the first time because i actually thought this movie was very clunky like i'm i i personally like susanna bia's work um She's made uh, what is it called after after the after the party or after the wedding, which oh, is uh, right, yeah, which is a really good movie. And then she made uh, it's called Monsters Ball. The no, not Monsters. No, Ball. she made it the place the the things we lost things in the fire. We, yeah, which is okay. I liked it. <laughs> and then she made uh, the Night Manager, the uh, BBC TV series. Yeah, with Hugh Laurie, which is pretty right? good. Which is pretty good. Uh, but this one just felt... I don't know. And then you you listen to all these reviewers who go, well, it's a, it was kind of about the idea of Denmark. So Denmark in the outside world is seen very much as a harmonious country. Like we're the happiest country on earth. You know? 
Uh, not anymore, I think. I think Finland has overtaken us. But at the point in time, we were like considered the happiest country on earth. And apparently the idea for this movie was to go underneath that and actually explore the cracks in that idea. So I can the, sort of see that, I guess. Yeah, like I, I can see that, but to an, to an extreme... It's like they took sort of, okay, the casual racism towards Swedes and then dialed it up to 11, uh, sort of the idealism of some characters and dial it up to 11. And they sort the, of describe... The sort of Anton's... lack of uh, supervision of children or whatever. Yeah. Like... And they sort of describe Anton as, I wrote it down, uh, an idealist who is tested by various moral conundrums. And sort of use that to talk about masculinity in a way i guess in a certain way and, and looking at the film i can i can understand that mindset of like okay i can totally see the movie is trying to do all those things but it's the way that they do it that to me as a dane looks at it and go oh this was this was maybe dialed a little bit too up so that it's not realistic to a Danish person, but it's it sort of rings to somebody who isn't the Danish person. Kind of like how you talked about they make movies that work for an international audience. Mm. Okay. So it's supposed to be like more of a, a symbolism of the Danish culture as opposed to actually being Danish culture. Yeah. But I think in trying to... Of course, I don't know if the reason why it is a bit over the top is is to make it easier to sell to a to a foreign uh, movie going on foreign market. Yeah, I don't. I of course don't know that. It just to me feels like that. But I don't know, man. Or if it's just the the writing of these people, which honestly I don't think so because. Even Anas Thomas Jensen, who is very, you know, can be very over the top, has shown to be very understated in a lot of other ways. And Susanna Bia is mostly very understated in the things she does. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. This there's... movie, this movie just weirds me out. I, it, I I got the same feeling. I don't if it, yeah, it feels very. Like it's trying to portray itself as being very realistic, but mm. when you do that and then you do stuff that doesn't make sense, like we we talked about the scene with Anton mm. and com confronting Lars, it's, it kind of exposes itself as being not that, you know, or and I, I don't know, it just rings doubly hollow because the acting in this movie is actually really good in my opinion. Yeah. In like, some scenes, yeah, yeah. Uh, like this is a bit of a wider discussion but I find many times when Danish people are acting that they mm. can feel very stilted and okay. it sort of feels like you're watching a theater play in, a, in some ways like they're talking a little bit too loud and they're a little bit too enunciating but especially people like Anna Thomas Jensen and you know Thomas Winterberg and Susanna Bia and you know, all these Dogma 95 people, they really know how to make actors sound natural. Okay. So that when they're just having casual conversation, it feels like you're watching two people having a casual conversation. And that's really nice. And this movie is, I think, another example of that being 
being good, like uh, being done well. It's yeah. just weird that when you then watch the movie and it sort of tries to balance this this realism with the the sort of over the topness of this idealistic man who is like so idealistic he goes to Africa to save people and has a run in with like a warlord and it's like what? How does this uh, impact anything in the story? <laughs> you know. Yeah. The ent the entire like subplot of him going to to Africa to be like a humanitarian sort of I don't know it feels more like a a way to paint him as a good man more so than an actual plot point yeah you know it feels like a white savior syndrome to me <laughs> yeah uh, speaking of uh, good acting I thought. Uh, uh, Trina, what's her name? Trina Duhom. I thought uh, she has a scene where she talks at the, uh, on the phone. Uh, huh? I think it's to Anton, and they talk about their marriage, and she breaks out in tears. I thought that was awesome. Mm. Like her acting in that was really good. Yeah. Uh, so I wrote down. I really dislike Anton's subplot with the whole African thing. Uh, it yeah. it feels kind of exploitative to me, <laughs> and it goes on yeah. forever. Yeah, it's it's way too big a part of the movie for what it actually tries to accomplish. I feel like. Yeah, like, like you could have had. Well, one the problem is it's such a big shift. You know, you go from yeah. Africa to Denmark. Yeah. So one, if you did it in just one scene, it would have feel yeah. it would have felt like kind of pointless so you kind of mm. need to sparse it throughout the movie to kind of justify why you have this sort of shift and also yeah. to justify the cost of shooting in kenya um yeah but then you run into the problem that the actual point of that subplot is just to characterize anton yeah. as an and good man basically yeah which could have been done in one Simple. scene yeah yeah but then that's what i'm talking about the problem is then you need to shoot in, in kenya for just one scene and then that mm. kind of like why is it well, then i think the problem would have been like well the movie started in africa and then we never go back there that was weird like that i yeah. think could have felt weird as well <laughs> so i think yeah you could have just not have him in africa <laughs> at all yeah, but then then you also then you have to also set him up as this kind of character in another way. But I actually think you could have done that in a lot of other. Anyway, this movie yeah. is just this this movie feels kind of weird in so, that regard. Which it 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 actually to me feels like it's it's almost how to put it it's almost amateurish in a way uh, made by people who actually know what they're doing. Like, like if I, you told me this was an Anas Thomas Jensen script, I wouldn't believe you. I would be like, no, he would he would tweak this thing to be a lot more neat in a way. Neat. Uh, uh, yeah. I I do have some notes on the other subplot though, like the everything involving Christian and uh, Elias. I really liked, which is yeah, the kids. crazy because I hate kids in movies. Uh. But I thought that the concept of having this insane child, Christian, 
who is smarter uh-huh. than everybody than all the adults and plans on murdering people is amazing. <laughs> Yeah. It's it, in other in another world this could have been a good horror movie, you know, like Christian this crazy man, this crazy child who wants to yeah, murder that actually, the world. Like that subplot actually feels like something Anna Thomas Jensen would write as a like horror comedy in a way. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. basically this like that whole subplot comes to a head when when they attempt to blow up Kim Bodnia's car, but then mm-hmm. Elias steps in to sort of uh, shoo some uh, st- some bystanders away from the explosion and then he gets caught up in the in the blast and uh, he's kind of comatose in the hospital and uh, yeah. uh, they kind of think that he's a goner that he's gonna die right mm. so that's kind of where the climax happens where uh, Christian thinks that he killed his best friend and uh, he attempts to kill himself uh by jumping off a silo <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh and anton because uh elias told anton that uh, him and christian would hang hang around at this silo knows where to find him when he finds out that he's missing and uh yeah. and talks him off the ledge well pulls him off the ledge and then tells him that everything's going to be okay because they found out that elias is is going to be fine like there's no yeah which is also like a kind of a stupid thing where like uh you know he was caught in this explosion everybody's like oh my god oh no and then he's oh he's gonna be fine <laughs> yeah but to me that that emphasizes sort of the problem of this movie having you know the idea of it being you know a realistic uh serious thing that then becomes sort of funny because you can totally see that scene of him talking uh, Christian down from committing suicide as like a a good example of of this guy being this this idealist good guy who suddenly who finally has a victory in this seemingly idyllic world that is that is not as idyllic as you might think you know. But so I wrote the, down. Sorry. I was just going to say, but the entire context around it, that it's like this kid tried to blow up some asshole's car and his kid got caught in an explosion, but he's suddenly fine, just makes it weird. Just makes it absurd. Yeah, it it is absurd. Uh, I wrote down, Anton attempts to blurt out the metaphor or the message of the movie. Remember, like uh, he's talking to Christian when he pulled it off the silo and he says something. And I swear this is like representative of how confusing this movie is. Because whatever he says makes no sense. <laughs> like okay. Something about death and there's a veil. And when somebody that you love dies, you can kind of see death. But then the veil comes back and you're fine. It's so... What? What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. That's... Yeah. I, I didn't understand that either. I was like, what the I, hell I rewinded it three times. Because I was like, there, there's something in there. I just need to pull it out. <laughs> like, uh so what I'm thinking is it's a kind of a crazy roundabout way to talk about how people process grief. I think. I think, yeah. Because like when, because... when when his mom died, when Christian's mom yeah. died, he saw what death was and mm-hmm. uh, basically took it badly. And that's why he sort of turned into this narcissist, this, this – uh, I don't know. This insane kid. Well, basically a terrorist. 
<laughs> a domestic terrorist. Uh, and uh, Anton, well, he didn't really go through a similar experience, which is why him saying this message makes no sense. But arguably him seeing all this death in Africa made him feel similar-ish. Mm. Well, I guess arguably he's the person who saw death and chose to be a better person. He basically chose the inverse of what uh, Christian chose initially. Yeah. And now he like, sort of brings Christian back to the, I don't know, the the, the people good. who grieve in a good way. Uh, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a hilarious because uh, after that everything's forgiven. Like after. Yeah. So uh, I thought I thought it was hilarious because there's two scenes with the uh, Trina Duhom where she talks yeah. to Christian one in which uh, before before he tries to commit suicide where he where she's like ah fuck you you're trying to kill my son ah! and then after yeah. he tries to kill himself he's like she's like oh it's, everything's fine <laughs> yeah it's like isn't that a weird trade like oh you try to kill my son well that's not cool well you try to kill yourself well i guess we're even <laughs> yeah it's it's insane. This movie is insane. Yeah. It's like, what are you trying to, to say then? That you know, if we if we do something terrible, we should do something terrible to ourselves, and then everything's okay. It's a trade. I don't know. Yeah. It's like okay, we're now even, even Steven. Yeah, we're even, even Steven. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's about it for like the plot notes that i have so if you yeah. uh, on, on overall what i think this is is that there are two scripts mixed together in this movie yeah there's the story of anton and there's the story of christian yeah kinda. exactly yeah. but they don't gel at all it's like anton i think there has... is a sorry like i think there is a nugget of like them gelling the idea that they both seen death but they cope at it in different ways well yeah because i i uh, that's it, I'm, I'm going through similar problems with my script well not mm. to this extent <laughs> like uh, my script hasn't taken as many steroids as this one uh but uh where you have subplots and you attempt mm. to have a linking point to sort of make the fact that you have that subplot be worth your worth the reader's time you know like yeah. oh we had these two narrative threads and then they connect at one point and they attempted mm. to do that in the in the monologue that i talked about the whole veil and death thing that anton yeah says but the problem is it was written so confusingly that you you're not entirely sure what he was talking about so the connection the connecting point is muddled so yeah you're kind of left like uh, you like i i felt like the like uh, how i felt where i fe i thought that the whole african thing was superfluous to the movie yeah because the connection point was like eh, sure <laughs> yeah i wrote down it's almost like some of the characters realize how much the plot of the movie doesn't make sense uh <laughs> so like there's this hilarious scene uh, I think it's after, yeah, it's after they attempt, they blow up the car, after the kids blow up the car and Elias is in the hospital. Yeah. There's a scene with the Christian and Ulrich Thompson in the car, 
and uh, mm. there's a close-up of Oli Thompson, and I I swear he, I thought he didn't know how to act. <laughs> like he was like, he was like, ooh, yeah, like a cringe face on him. <laughs> Because mm. like, how do you ask to your kid trying to blow up a car? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I, I just it, it was hilarious. So uh, overall, I thought this movie was kind of a mess, with multiple yeah. plots, plot lines, most of them underdeveloped mm. because they're too many. Like ultimately, yeah. even the Christian thing is a bit underdeveloped. Like I could have, I would have loved more of it because I like that particular subplot. With the, the two yeah, they could have kids. they could have each been their own movie in a sense. Yeah, exactly. So that's why. Yeah. So that could feed into the fact that there are three authors of the screenplay, you know, because mm. there are sort of like these three narrative lines throughout. Like you have Anton's whole thing in Africa, you have Christian's whole thing, and then to a lesser, even lesser extent, you have their marriage, Anton and and Marianne's marriage. Which that also yeah. kind of creeps in whenever it kind of wants to. <laughs> yeah. It feels a bit I, uneven in that. So I, I wrote down, it's a very frustrating movie, but loved the crazy kid stuff. <laughs> uh, I thought it was uh, ludicrous. It, it was kind of funny how a movie that has scenes in Africa and shows the interaction between a, a white person and the, the, the Africans. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of funny how a movie like that has a subplot about Danish people being racist towards Swedes. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, we're not going to show white people being racist towards people of color. Let's just show white people being racist towards other white people. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, white people being racist towards white people feels very unnatural. I don't know. <laughs> Does it not? I mean, to be fair, racism in itself seems sort of unnatural. Yeah, but I get so. that what you're trying to do is portray racism. Like, you're mm. okay, you're not being actually racist. You're, like, portraying racism, right? You know, like, the characters who are racist are obviously supposed to be the bad guys. Like, uh, yeah. Kim Bonnie is supposed to be the bad guy. Well, mm. I guess in the end he's not because he, he gets his car blown up for no reason. Mm. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. So I I didn't think this movie was bad. I just... Again, it's like three movies or at least two. <laughs> two and a half. Yeah. But Stephen, would you would you actually recommend people watch it? I would say, just in terms of the other Danish movies we've seen, I would say mm. it's one of the weakest we did. Yeah, I, w- I would agree to that. Which is funny because this one won an Oscar. <laughs> well, the Oscars, whatever. It, that's. I've, I've probably... actually, I've actually been looking up the movies they won over, and uh, now I'm a little bit annoyed. Why is that? Because okay, so it won. Best uh, best foreign feature over uh, the uh, what is it's called beautiful, which is uh, Alejandro Gonzalez and Yaritus, <laughs> one of his oh, be- older movies. Beautiful with uh, what's his name? Uh, the actor and um, the guy from Mother. What's his name? Oh, uh, 
for some reason, all I can think of is Antonio Banderas, and it isn't. Yeah. God damn it, Ken. Sorry. So it won over that. It won uh, over Denis Villeneuve. Sorry. Javier Javier Bardem. Yeah. It won over Denis Villeneuve's Incendies. Oh my God. Oh. It won o- and it won over Yogos Latimer's Dog Tooth. Jesus Christ. These are all amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah these are all great movies. And it's and just like. Are, look, this movie's not bad, again, but it's not that good. <laughs> I, just, I just thought that. And then there is uh, an Algerian movie called Outside the Law, which I haven't seen. So. But oh it was just that that it's these three movies particularly that this movie beat. Just, uh. but again, like it's one of those things where the what the Academy values is, uh, if if you're a previous industry worker, you know, like Suzanne yeah. Pia did English movies before this, so that was good yeah. for her. Yeah, like it's the same with the what was it the the German guy Cronenberg? Uh, no, not Cronenberg. Uh, what's the name of the guy who did RoboCop? Oh, uh, fuck, man! I'm my mind today. Paul Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven. So he, obviously, he worked in in American movies before. So when he did his, uh, uh, I think it's in the fade or whatever the fuck. Um, that might be true. Yeah. Oh, L L. Yeah, when he did L, uh, remember L the movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, he won an Oscar for it. Uh, it's the same kind of thing where you know you get rewarded if you won if you worked in the industry beforehand. Like it's yeah. kind of ironic because the other three that you mentioned, Daniel, they all ended up working in the industry anyway, and they're all yeah, yeah, like major players like, now. Yeah, yeah, and of course, a lot of them have gone on to win Oscars. You know, but uh, yeah, this and the all the yeah, the, uh, it's it sounds like the weakest out of all of them, to be honest. This one, yeah, outside of the Algerian one, which I haven't seen, I yeah, would definitely argue point. this is the this is the weakest of the three. And it's also kind of funny that all three of, well, technically all four of the directors, because Sustainability is still working in Hollywood to an extent, uh, but all three of the other directors have sort of gone on, and these movies have sort of become good examples of their early work. Yeah. So if you if you watch like a Denis Villeneuve movie today, there's a lot of fans of Denis Villeneuve who would say, oh, go back and watch Incendies because it's really good. It is really it's good. good. It's a really good early movie from him or the same with uh, Yorgos Lathimos. They say, go go and watch Darktooth because it's great. And it is. It's really good. Uh, so, I don't know. It's... But, but I don't, on it, on, I don't on hear... Its own, be... On its own, yeah. it's not that great. <laughs> It's not bad. Dogtooth no, uh, or uh, in okay. a better world. I'm talking about. Okay, yeah. But uh, I, I, I wrote down here. Uh, so, what is your opinion of Suzanne Beer's work in general? I I like Suzanne Beer's work. I think she's uh, she's actually one of the few Danish directors that I feel like do quite well in making you know Hollywood stuff. You know. Things We Lost in the Fire is okay. Uh, and um, The she Night Manager is... Oh yeah, that's right. She did Bird Box. Fuck. 
Yeah, okay, fair enough. I haven't haven't seen Bird Box, so I saw like five minutes of it and I was like, Yeah, this is a Oh boy. Anyway, like she did Night Manager, which I think is a really good approximation of like James Bond in a way. Like so I I think Susanna B is one of those few directors who have actually done really well in Hollywood without being known for being who they are. You know, I'm thinking like Nicholas Windingrafen. It's like like oh everybody knows that when a movie is made by Nicholas Windingrafen, you know. So not like, not not shoving their her style in everybody's face, right? Yeah. But she's not like oh which who was it that made the Flatliners remake? Was it Thomas Winderberg? They say what now? The uh, Flatliners remake. Uh, no, that's the director of the, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, oh, yeah. I don't remember his name. Mik- Mikhail something something, I think. Something like that. Yeah, but he, he's also he's also Danish. And yeah, Thomas Winterberg has also made movies in Hollywood. But none of them have really been able to show what makes them good directors. But I think Susanna Bia has actually been able to, to do movies in English and in Hollywood where she actually portrays why she is good, I think, you know. Is she known as a uh, Dogma 95 director? Well, her movie After the Wedding is known as one of the, I want to say better, but the thing is Dogma 95 never really had that many movies in it that are considered sort of exemplary of the form. There's like Festin and there's After the Wedding and there's, like one or two more and that's basically it that's like well, the entire movement i i think uh things we lost in the fire is considered dogma 95 or really it's in that mm. style yeah but I, w- I would honestly say don't watch this movie if you want to see a better version of this kind of movie you know the bit more over the top like more produced movie i would say watch something like the night manager and if you want to watch Susanna Bia as a Dogma 95 director, I would say, yeah, you could watch Things We Lost in the Fire, but I would say After the Wedding, actually. All right. Because it's great. Well, noted. And we're we're going to do it in a future episode. Woo! Okay, shall we move on? Uh, Daniel, what's your overall uh, uh, opinion of this movie? Don't watch it. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's... It's okay, but given the talent involved, both in acting and in making it, you know, there are so many other better movies by all these people you could be watching. All right. There you go. So, okay. so unless you've watched all of both Anna's Thomas Jensen and Susanna Beer, maybe skip this one. All right. So give it a skip. <laughs> uh, give it a skip. All right. Shall we move on? Yes. To right. the movie I've watched this week, which is called If I Want to Whistle, I Whistle, or... Yoda Cabrausa Fluir, Fluir. Yes. Uh, came out in 2010, uh, ri- uh, co-written and directed by Florin Seban. Yep. And shot by uh, Marius Panduro. Yep. Uh, it uh, stars a guy called... A guy called George Pisterano? Pisterano? Pisterano, I guess. Yeah. Who plays uh, a young man called uh, Silvio, who 
is in he's in youth prison. Isn't that what you would call it? Like youth. Uh, yeah, correct. I guess yeah. in, if you're a youth, it's called the correction facility or something. Yeah. Uh, and he's serving a four-year sentence, and he's just about to end his four-year sentence. He's coming out in like a week or so, when he's being visited by his brother, who tells him that his mom has returned from Italy and wants to basically take her brother or take the brother with her back to Italy, basically leaving Silvio. His mother is this, this character who basically left them and is sending money to the brothers in order for them to survive while Silvio is in jail. Uh, whilst he is in jail, he meets a young social worker named Anna, played by uh, Ada Condescu. Yeah. It's two E's, so I, so I don't know if it's Condescu or Condescu. Condescu. Okay. Who he sort of falls in love with very quickly. Uh, we'll get into that. I don't know if he <laughs> fell in love, but yeah, sure. We'll, we'll get into that. Uh, I have a whole thing about that. And he gets very upset about the idea that his brother might be taken away from him and he he goes through a lot of hoops in the in the like prison system in order to try to get out like he tries to get a phone so he can call them and he he it all culminates in him trying to he basically escapes the penitentiary by taking a piece of glass and threatening Anna and then uh, taking her hostage. Yeah, taking her hostage and then getting a car and then driving away. And then they go have coffee and then he goes back to prison, basically. He also makes his mom uh, promise that he won't, that she won't take uh, his brother to Italy. Yep. So this movie is even. I've, yeah. I have a I have one question for you uh, in regards to sort of this movie outside of uh, what your experience with this movie is. Mm. So first, I want to hear you about your experience about this movie. Uh, so I heard this about this movie when it came out because uh, it got a lot of buzz because uh, uh, it won uh, I think it won the Golden Bear at the Berlin Film Festival. Yeah, that's Berlin's film festival. Yep. Yeah. And uh, obviously that got uh, some media attention. Mm-hmm. I was too young to watch it. 2010. I must have been like uh, 14, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, what I was into back then is like, does it have Batman in it? No, I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, yeah. Too young to watch it, right? But I definitely heard yeah. about it when it came out. and. It was very strange. It, 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 um, I have seen uh, since then over the years people lump it into the same uh, sort of wave of uh, films that uh, sort of got started with the whole uh, four months, three weeks, and three days and two days uh, thing. You know, like that type yeah. of extremely naturalistic uh, yeah. uh, filmmaking, handheld, that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, almost. Very close to sort of the Dogma 95 style, if you think about it. Uh, I actually have a note here that says this feels like Romanian Dogma 95. It is. Yeah, I think, yeah. There's a couple of movies from this time, um, I would say pretty much close to now. Now it's, I guess, mm. kind of moved out of it. Uh, 
pro probably the 2015-16 mark is when it kind of shifted from this type of style. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a, a lot of movies from this time of this particular time that sort of use the same sort of natural style of filmmaking. Uh, so I've seen it the first time uh, last night, <laughs> but uh, uh, I have seen the play many times. This is based. Oh, on it's a based play. on a play. It's based on a play by Andrea Valian. Okay. Uh, I've seen it many times, and it's kind of interesting to see it because uh, it's written. Uh, it's written as a bottle play, like many plays are. Yeah. Where it takes place in one location. Um, yeah. And the the way it's written in the play is that it takes place in the place in the movie where you see him take her hostage. Yeah, in the like dining hall. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. So that's where the play takes place, and the and the backstories and everything that are written into the dialogue. Oh, okay. And so they restructure that to basically put everything in sort of chronological order, right? So you yeah. don't just have that one one location, but the whole prison as sort of yeah. your location for the movie. Um, yeah, the I I think this is way better than the other versions that I've seen because. To be honest, two of the three that I've seen are with, were with kids, <laughs> uh. were like uh, young adults or whatever, and they were kind of cringy. <laughs> uh, and the other one that I've seen with adults was way better than the other two. But I think I like I like this one. <laughs> Let's just say that. So. The thing I found interesting about this movie is very much that it is this very low-key piece of filmmaking. You know, it is very Dogma 95, you know, handheld cameras, uh, naturalistic sounds and things like that. Like, I don't actually think there is a soundtrack in the movie. Is no, there? I don't, no, there isn't. There's a, no. there's a diegetic sound, but... I, yeah. Whatever. Like, they, they play music in the... Uh, I think it's the, the hall they're sitting in. The they have music hall. playing, yeah, yeah, which and, is uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah, I also have a a little note here that says music and football in prison. Sure. <laughs> well, I think you. I mean, the, you, in any prison you can play football. Yeah, but it's it felt very. It, one of the things I found really interesting about this movie, and maybe could call it a minor criticism, is sort of the dichotomy between sort of how lax some of it is like the they're playing music and of course the the guards come in and shut it off and things like that but then there is like um uh, silvio's character walking to the fence to where he realizes that his it is actually his mom who who brought his brother to the prison originally uh, his brother says he like took the bus or something but then Silvio goes to the fence and actually sees that is that is his mother who has brought him. Yeah. And then the the, the police officers come by and beat him up because he's not allowed to be with the near the fence. And they they say things like he's resisting arrest, which is like we're in prison, man. <laughs> well, um, they're just scapegoating him, right? So they don't get yeah written up. Uh. This is an interesting movie compared to something like four months, three three weeks, two days. Got that title. <laughs> uh, because 
this feels way more understated. And I think you actually mentioned the last time that it was based on a play, but I'd totally forgotten it in the meantime. So now that I actually think about it, it makes total sense that it is based on a play, but I don't think it's obvious when you watch the movie. Well, like it's not yeah. one of those mo- it's not one of those movies where you look at it and go, "Oh, this must have been a play because it only takes place in one location, things like that." Like they the filmmaking is good enough that you can actually like separate it from that. They expand it some, a lot, yeah. Yeah. And there are some really good shots like when he's in the in the like field and he's trying to call uh using the phone that he gets. Oh yeah, yeah. When it's he's really, painting really... when he's painting the trees. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really nice shot, and sort of the final shot is also really nice when he, when he you know drives back, and then you have that standing shot of like the road. Yeah, the credits uh, play over it. Yeah, yeah. A good use of silence, I think, which is also helpful in sort of making the story last a little bit longer because it is a very simple story in a way. Yeah. It's just and the, the movie's not long. Yeah. The movie's like an hour and a half. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like a short story in a way. It doesn't feel long, but it's like it feels as it should be. It's pretty much straightforward and to the point. Yeah. Yeah. It's ba- it has. Which, it has. I think some uh, under underpinning themes. You know, they're which, not overt, but. Yeah. Which uh, I. We might actually just get into, but well, uh, we can get into whatever you want. Then. Yeah, but because I feel like it's very there's not really that much to talk about with this movie because it is so simple. Like the acting is good. Uh, I thought the main like, actor was awesome. Like he was. Really yeah, the main intense. actor is is actually really good. I love his his range of like when he's talking to Anna versus like when he he basically goes nuts at the end or Although, he he like. Uh, he does that thing that uh, you talked about in the in the the other movie that you noticed something about how how Danish actors would uh, would would uh, would talk right uh-huh. uh, like for me he comes from the the main actor especially comes from the school of uh, in order to sound more realistic I'm gonna muffle all my lines oh <laughs> so he talks he talks very kind of muffly where I, uh-huh. where he doesn't announce he properly and i couldn't understand what the fuck he was saying at point so i just ended up putting on the english subtitles just because i couldn't understand what he was saying i mean yeah but that comes from that that thing like if i talk like the way people talk in reality where you sometimes occasionally can't understand them because they talk under their like they kind of talk under their their breath or something right like they put their nose down or something uh so it's kind of that thing, but I could I could have done with a bit more of a <laughs> intelligible dialogue. <laughs> okay, I I don't have that problem because I am bound to subtitles. So there you go. There I go. But again, I find it really really hard to actually find things in the movie to talk about outside of the theme, because it is very simple. So. The, the question I had for you, Stephen, in regards to sort of just Romania at large, is the mom's move to Italy. Yeah. Is that a normal thing? Mm, it's a more common reoccurrent um, 
in in uh, within that specific time frame, like the, those ten years from like the two thousand, mm. well, two thousand seven to two thousand seventeen sort of time frame where, okay. uh, like, obviously since the since the because in two thousand seven Romania got uh, accepted into the European Union, and that opened up the the ability to travel much easier, like mm. uh, on paper. You could travel with just your Romanian ID. Yeah, it's it's recommended you have a passport, but technically you can travel with just your Romanian ID. Um, Same in Denmark. And it's obviously it's easy to get a passport, right? Um, mm. And uh, sort of that opened up because uh, I think I mentioned before that it, it Romanians and Italians have a similar languages, so mm. it's very easy for Romanians to learn Italian. Ah, okay. Makes uh, sense. Be- because, of, like, I think what was it? Something around like forty percent of our uh, of our lexic is the same. <laughs> ah, we're both sort of Lat- Latin languages, languages with other influences. Hmm. Um, and uh, so then you had a lot of uh, an influx of people that were trying to find uh, better jobs or whatever that hmm. then moved there. Well, okay. A lot of people that did that, and then a lot of people <laughs> moved to Italy in pursuit of other things, <laughs> like uh, organized crime and so on. <laughs> uh. But yeah, a lot because... of people did. Like, there's a lot of cases of uh, children left behind with their grandparents or something like that, and then the parents moved to Italy. Okay. Yeah, there. That's a a thing. Yeah. Okay. It was just, I was, I think we have talked a bit about that idea before. I vaguely remember we've talked about it before, but it was just the idea that it was Italy that sort of caught my attention. It was like, okay. But, so that lead me, lead me into sort of the thematic discussion about this film, because thematically it kind of reminds me of, um, uh, uh Next Stop Paradise, or... Oh, I can that see one. that. Yeah, this uh, which um, which is a movie we talked about a couple of episodes ago. Uh, which they're both movies about a youth that is sort of in flux because of history, you know. Uh, in Last of Paradise, it's about the generation sort of right after the fall of communism or like that grew up during the fall of communism having no sort of center so therefore they are they're like you know how to put it, rebel rousey or whatever you want to call it they yeah. are they are a lost yeah. generation in disturbed. a way disturbed yeah whereas this seems more like a a story about a youth sort of under the problems of maybe some economical uh, sort of situation, you know, if the parents leave for other countries and then send money back, you know, they've been left by their parents. But if you look at it from the parents' point of view, because Sylvia, we see the movie from Sylvia's point of view, and he is very damning of his mother, calling her like a prostitute and things like that. Uh and I started looking at it from his mom's point of view, like, okay, she must have gone there to find, you know, better, a better life. And then 
sort of thinking that sending money home to the kids is good and that's like what she's supposed to do that's like that's good that's her being a good mom in a way but for Silvio's point of view it's like no you left us you you have abandoned us and think that money is you know you can just buy us off in a way and mm. uh, there's it also falls into this idea of institutionalized sanity that i kind of thought because the prison that he's in or the correctional facility or whatever you want to call it has this system in place where it's like he wants to achieve his goals sylvia wants to get out he wants to be good for his brother he wants to be with this woman that he's just met he has this very idealistic version of what he wants to do and to do it he must almost like embarrass himself like there is a there's another cellmate who starts yelling at him and spits in his face and you know and he does all these things to sort of get further ahead in that idea like getting the phone and things like that until he suddenly just snaps and goes you know to get out i need to be uh He needs to like I don't know how to explain it in a way. It's like he needs he to need, he needs to become the version that he essentially was imprisoned for, right? Like Yeah. Because he yeah. he doesn't seem like that bad of a guy. But No, he seems like a perfectly normal dude. Like I don't think we ever get told why he's in prison. No, uh, but I don't think it matters really. No no, it doesn't it doesn't matter, but I actually like the fact that we're not told exactly why it is. Well, but four years he... must have been some sort of assault, probably. Whatever. Yeah, but that's like the only information we get. And I kind of like that we don't get an actual uh, like confirmation that it is, you know, assault or something worse. Because well, I think what, it, I, what I got like... out of this is that the idea that instead of being this, uh, um, like instead of prison being this reformation process where you go for mm. reform and then you become a better person, which is ideally what prison should be, it's yeah. uh, it's something that turns somebody who might have just made a mistake. You know, mm. like people make mistakes, like the 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 yeah. principal in the <laughs> previous movie. Like, yeah, we're all good. Yeah, no, no, but uh, like uh, you know, somebody make a mistake. Obviously, there should be consequences when you do something you know, that requires prison time. But then yeah. you're supposed to come out of it on the other end of, of a reformed individual that can be reintroduced into society. But instead, he yeah. gets beaten down so much by the fact that nobody offers him anything. Like, he has nothing. Yeah. He Like, the, the prison essentially took everything from him. So he has yeah. nothing. Like, you know, the it's kind of like when you play a video game and you realize that the rules of the, like, the things that they tell you not to do don't matter. You know, like, uh. it's like, oh, don't don't say that to that character. It's like, why not? You know, what is, what's going to happen? I'm going to die and respawn. You know, and, like, uh. to, to the point of, I think he went, goes, like, well, it doesn't even matter at this point if I'm in prison or not because I don't have a life outside of prison anymore. Because, yeah. like you said, like, his, his, uh, mom is going to probably take his brother and then that's it. Like, what else does he have? Yeah. He has nothing. Uh, and he's and also an ex-convict now, so he's going to probably yeah. be unemployed or something. And Yeah, like he has no life to come out to. So he doesn't sort. need to 
succumb to the rules of the prison system anymore. Like he right. doesn't need to s stay in line. So what, like that one thing that he wants, like the only thing uh -huh. he wants that he can actually get by the end is to have coffee with this random girl. Yeah. It's like, it's just, it's just a thing he wants to do. So yeah. he doesn't feel like he needs to, you know, follow the, the norms anymore to get what he wants. He just goes ahead and does it. <laughs> go full-on crazy in order to achieve whatever he feels like he needs to achieve yeah yeah i feel like it's basically a piece that damns the uh the prison system the incarceration system yeah. as being a a a failure of uh you know rehabilitation rehabilitating people yeah you know i also kind of read it as sort of a I read some themes of masculinity in there, in a way. Yeah, and like, and like, uh, like uh, what's it called when? Uh, emasculation, right? Yeah. But because... also in sort of perceived masculinity versus actual. In, yeah. In, in sort of the, the ways he has to go through in order to, to achieve what he wants originally before he realizes, I can just, you know... I can just get what I want. Uh, he has to act in a certain way, you know. But then when he sits at the end in the coffee shop with, with this girl he wants, with Anna, he's just, you know, it's kind of adorable in a way. <laughs> like, he like, he steals a kiss and then he leaves and then, you know. Which, yeah, honestly, well... that seemed to... That felt to me like the director just went over and said to the actor that he had to do it, and the actress didn't know. Otherwise, that's some pretty good acting on on behalf of the actress. I don't know, but yeah, it felt know. very uh, sudden, right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I I agree with you. I think the fact that the play is written by a, a woman definitely plays into it because mm -hmm. women tend to be a lot more. Um, I'll explain it. They tend to explain emotions better. So they tend to analyze their own emotions better. So I feel like the 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 inter the the fact that uh, Silvio internalizes so much of his own emotions mm. because you're not safe in a prison. That's the point, right? Mm. You're you're yeah. on guard all the time. You you need to put yeah. up the appearance of being a, like you said, like a like the appearance of a masculinity, right? A tough guy. Yeah, a tough guy. Right, but he's not a tough guy mm. by default. No, he's. A He's a dude. He's just a dude. He's a like, he's a sweet cake. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of funny because he talks to I think it's one of his friends. He's talked to about what he would do if if he came out and was with this girl, and he talks about how he wants to have sex with her and things like that. And then they sit in the coffee shop in the end, and it's just I don't know. It's just yeah. kind of adorable in its own way. Yeah, he's putting a front, right? Yeah. Which is, and... you know, it's also interesting because the movie portrays um, a lot of, uh, like, the stuff that happens in prison, like other inmates threatening uh, other inmates with uh, uh -huh. with gay sex, right? Yeah. Which is, like, I was very cringy to watch because, yeah. you know, but it, it, that's a thing that happens, you know? It uh -huh. even, like, I've seen a, a while ago, I've seen a Vice documentary about a... Like a, some sort of a, like a, what do you, what would you call it? Like a, like a bounty hunter from UK. It's like a guy who okay. you pay to 
beat up people for like a lone shark, I guess. Oh, okay, yeah. And they that guy had another guy that they they wouldn't even show on camera, like he, mm-hmm. and the, that guy would threaten people with fucking them in the ass. As holy, okay, right? Holy shit. Like as holy a, as a yeah. sort of ultimate deterrent for them to pay up money. And okay. I, it, it made uh... me think of that as a sort of like it's it's so strange because it like this portrayal of uh, of of of, uh, of gay sex as a, yeah. as a as a as a as a as a as a means to threaten people. Yeah, as a like emasculating, you know. Yeah, it's horror. the ultimate for, for, form of emasculation, right? Yeah. It's 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 insane. I mean, as yeah, in, it's... it's it's horrific. <laughs> Yeah. And that's that's one of those things where I think it plays into his sort of cuz the movie's basically about him. It's about his character. Mm-hmm. It's from his yeah. point of point of view. Uh I think the movie portrays that sort of thing where the like prison environment basically made him f- feel uh gross stunted where he mm-hmm. cuz you say that he acts almost childish in the scene at the cof- in the coffee shop with the girl. Yeah. Because, he, but he's eighteen. Like he's supposed to be reaching early adulthood soon, right? Mm. He's supposed to be like a, a cut above, sort of. But yeah. he's 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 basically the prison system and the sort of machinations inside of it left him pretty much a child because yeah. of the way the system works. Which is <laughs> this is kind of funny in comparison to In a Better World because I feel like. If In a Better World is a movie about masculinity, I feel like this movie actually captures, funny enough, it captures sort of Danish masculinity better (laughs) than I think In a Better World does. Because I've definitely grown up with with guys who had to put up the front of being like tough guys. And then Mm. when you suddenly see them with a partner, they they're like two different people because then they can be emotional. They can be, you know, they don't need to put up the act of the tough guy, you know? Yeah. It's this, this bizarre dance of masculinity that. Yeah. Us as men uh, need to do. I mean, we don't need to do it, but it's part of how like society builds us as being, you know, where you have to put up a, and women do it too in a different way. Right. But, we as men yeah, do it in but... the sense where we put up a facade of ourselves as the sort of mm. sort of caricature of masculinity, right? Because we're yeah. afraid of it's almost like we're afraid of not looking as masculine as possible, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, thought... I don't know. Like it's a it's a very interesting thing, especially with a movie that is, again, so simple. Like it's very well done. Yeah, I think that's because uh, again, as a child and early, whatever, teenager, I guess, I would uh, I would always see these movies as being like, eh, what's the point of this? Eh, you know, where's mm. Batman? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I I understand now that essentially by portraying something so simple, you can sort of pepper it with the uh, undertones that speak volumes, mm. sort of thing. Yeah, like I'm actually surprised. I was actually surprised at 
how much this movie actually has thematically to say instead of just filmically. If yeah, that makes like sense. Yeah, like the plot. You know? The plot is light, right? Like it's just. Yeah. It's just. Uh, it's building. It's basically build up to him taking her hostage, and then that's the mm. sort of leads into the climax yeah. of the movie. And I was actually fearing when I watched the movie that I wasn't really gonna have much to say other than it's nicely acted, it's well shot, and that was it. But then when we got to especially the scenes with the mother, and we got to um, again the scene where he takes Anna hostage, and then to the coffee shop, I was like, okay, now we're get, now we're actually getting somewhere, sort of thematically, yeah. and yeah. It has a lot. I think it's even more interesting from, uh, uh, like, like you said. I guess uh, it's it, it. You said it makes a point towards uh, Danish masculinity, but I think even towards uh, Romanian masculinity, because yeah, it, I pretty much had the same experience, and I, even I uh. did it, where I felt pressured to portray myself in a sort of over the top masculine way, even though uh. at points. Like at points, probably it felt natural, but at other points, it definitely felt like a facade. And I think yeah. a lot of Romanian society, especially the masculine side, is overly mm. pressured to do that to the point where it becomes ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually, I just think it's a very universal like idea, this idea of men having to perform in a way. Yeah, and so, and and it, the only thing it does is that it 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 uh it it uh it it uh, climaxes into a point similar to the movie where you do something so extreme because you uh, essentially well metaphorically locked yourself in a closet, but now yeah. in in this case you locked yourself in in a prison, but yeah you you sort of do something very extreme to es- to try to escape it, which ultimately doesn't do anything like. Yeah, you know, but doing... then also, then also the idea of when you finally end up in a situation outside of that, you are in, you're in uncharted waters. So you almost revert back to being childish. Yeah, you. you know? He basically, yeah, he basically reverts back to the age that he was when he probably first entered prison, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, that scene was actually very cute. Yeah, <laughs> the the yeah. the coffee scene. Yeah, because he, they're just sitting there and making small talk, basically. And then he steals a kiss and then he leaves to, to sort of go back to prison in a way. Have you ever been to a know. prison, by the way? Like, a, in, uh, is it not not an inmate? But, like, you know, I know schools make a prison visits and shit I mean, like Steven, that. you've seen my, my big back of, of prison tattoos. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty graphic. <laughs> yeah. I don't know uh, why there's th- a hentai on it, but sure. It was Japanese prison. We we don't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we had a... Ex- uh, it wasn't an actual prison. It was more like a sort of museum prison. Okay. So, I haven't been to actual prison, but I've been to, like close down prisons that are made into like historical museums and stuff. I know that some schools do a uh, visits to prison, right? Huh? I never been to one, but I kind of wanted to. <laughs> well, there is uh 
there's actually one not far from where you are where you can actually spend the night. Wait, it's why, why would you do that? Be, okay, so it's it's an old prison that has been converted into um, a hotel? sort of an event space. No, it's more of an event space. So actually, there's a lot of concerts held at it. Okay. So so you will sometimes hear, you know, this big Danish band will perform in prison or in the prison. That's what it's kind of called. Okay. Uh, and it's in it's in Jutland somewhere, I think. Okay. And it's basically just they they make the prison yard into a into a stage, huh. and you can you can rent the place for your events, and you can also actually rent a cell as an individual to stay there for a day or two. That's interesting. Yeah. Kind of a fun little thing. Hmm. So, so Daniel, what did you think of this movie overall? I actually really ended up enjoying it, you know. It's um it's actually kind of funny looking at this movie and then looking at Terminus Paradis. Because I actually think this movie is better than Terminus Parties in some ways, you know? I would agree. Yeah. Like, not to say that Terminus Parties is a bad movie. It definitely isn't. Uh, and I would also say that this is is a very good example of doing a lot with with a little, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Also, it's a very simple story, is... simply told. I think this is the first movie we did that actually was released in Denmark. <laughs> if I yeah, yeah. if I want to whistle, I whistle. It was released on the sixteenth of September, two thousand ten, in Denmark. Oh, it's actually oh actually distributed uh, by a company that did a also distributed Adam's Apple film movement. Oh, neat. I wanted to ask you about the title, Stephen. Is that a Romanian saying, or is it just a title? No, I think it's just. A, I, no, it's not Romanian. As far as I know, it's not a Romanian saying. It's just the. I guess the the point of being defined. I guess you know, like. Yeah. If I want to whistle, I whistle. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have one note on the movie because uh, I wasn't okay. taking actively notes on it. Uh, but uh, I have one note that that guard took a chair shot like a pro. Oh yeah, <laughs> holy that shit! That was uh, so when Silvio actually starts his his riot, basically his one man riot. He takes a chair and just hits this guy in the head, man. One of the guards. God. Yeah. And oh my, that was that was really well done, actually. I felt like I could hear a, like wrestling commentators yelling in the back. Oh my god, he killed him. <laughs> Yeah, like as oh God is my witness, He is broken in half. Like that was a, that was a good stunt. Yeah, I mean, good good for that stunt guy. He took a chair shot like a <laughs> like a champ, like a champ, like a champ, like a champ. All right, but yeah, so, I yeah. I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, really easy to watch. Uh, yeah, so, there you go. All right, shall we move on? Yes. All right. So, Daniel, do you know what we're going to do next week? No, but I'm assuming you're going to tell me. Oh, you're right. <laughs> so, next week, we are going to do two movies from 
the early 2000s. Oh Best time to be alive. So this is the, f I think this is the first movie that you, Daniel, actually recommended. I think. Might be wrong. I think Nedvakta might have been the first one. But this is a movie that you recommended. So okay. if it's bad, it's on you. <laughs> so I mean. we're going to do the 2006 Danish movie, The Bo The Boss of It All. Yes. Uh, or as it's known in, De in Denmark, uh, Direktoren uh, for det hele. Yeah, Direktoren for det hele. It's, it's basically a translation of the title, except yeah. boss is director or yeah. like... Yeah, and it's directed and written by Denmark's favorite boy, Lars von Trier. So I recommended this movie because it is a Lars von Trier film, but it's a weird Lars von Trier film, not in the common sense of weird. Well, a a weird Lars von Trier movie by Lars von Trier standards. Oh yeah. Oh my God, Daniel. <laughs> it's. I'm gonna need two weeks to just write up the plot summary. <laughs> oh no, the plot is fairly straightforward. Okay, so we're doing the boss of it all from 2006, mm. and then on the Romanian side, we're gonna do the 2007 movie California Dreaming, or or as it's known in uh, Romania, California Dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, a title I can actually pronounce in Romanian, or you know. So this is a bit of a, a weird one, Daniel. California Dreaming. So why is it weird? Because it's a, it's a, it's from what I know, it's a Romanian-U.S. co-production. Okay. It uh, it's sort of uh, it's sort of set in the backdrop of uh, Romania joining the NATO zone. Uh -huh. Uh, so uh, Ca California Dreaming. Uh, it was released in two thousand seven, and it's directed by. Christian Nemescu, also written written by him, oh. uh, and it stars Armand De Sante. Remember Armand De Sante? Yes, <laughs> he's the main actor in the movie. Oh my god! From American Gangster and Judge Dredd and oh yeah, yeah, he's the oh. law guy. Yeah. So yes, dude, this movie is a trip. I've seen it before, but I, I'm I'm gonna see it again because it's a trip. <laughs> I love the poster. Yeah, the poster's pretty fun. Um, there you go. So California dreaming and the boss of it all next week. Daniel, how excited are you? I'm quite excited. I'm I'm quite excited to hear your take on this this Danish movie. All right. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Two movies back to back next week. Oh my god! Very excited.